Hello, and welcome back to the Grace Downtown podcast. This past Sunday, the Grace Downtown Diaconate held the first part of a two-part class on the importance of place. In part one, Pastor Glenn unpacked our church's theology of place. That's why we think place is an important thing to know and understand and be engaged with if you're trying to live the Christian life well. He also shared an overview of the things that make our city's culture and history unique to try to help us get a handle around what kinds of things we need to consider when we're trying to take the theology of place from theory and actually put it into practice as a community. If you enjoy this talk and you have any questions or comments or concerns, we invite you to bring them with you to part two of the class this Sunday afternoon. It's meeting at 4 p.m. in one of the Kendall classrooms in the lobby of Calvary Baptist Church. That's at the corner of 8th and H Streets Northwest, here in our city of Washington, D.C. We hope this talk is encouraging to you, and we hope to see you for the follow-up this Sunday. But until then, here's Brent. Welcome. Um, thanks for coming early to Gospel Perspectives. Uh, I'm Brent Dieleman. I'm part of the Grace DC Diaconate. And I think most of you probably know, but the Diaconate, uh, one of our main roles is to um, uh, help meet the physical needs of people in our congregation, people connected to our church, and any neighbors or visitors just that happen to walk through our doors each Sunday. Um, we also are kind of hone in on equipping the church members for service. And so it's kind of in that guise that we're um, putting on this Gospel Perspectives course. It's a two-week course today and then next Sunday, same time, same place, where we'll unpack what Glenn has to say today in a little bit more detail and practically practical what it, what it means for us to live. Um, so I think most of you know, so if you've been around Grace DC for any period of time, you know, place and location is pretty foundational to what we what we believe. Uh, we encourage, we believe place matters. Um, it's important for, um, yeah, it's important for us as a community. Uh, we believe we want to encourage the, the congregation to love and serve the location, the area that they're that they're um, living in, and. And our mission field, as you know, is Washington, D.C., but if you are outside of D.C., we ask you to adopt a particular neighborhood or area in D.C. to, to really invest in and get to know a little bit more. So, um, yeah, so in place isn't also something that, it's not something that we just came up with as, as a church as well. All throughout Scripture, there's a lot of different references to places and locations, countries, cities, towns, even Mountain, region, mountain ranges or deserts. So it's really central in Scripture. Uh, God sees places very important. So it's with that that we'll um, uh, kind of dive into this. So we have, yeah, the two-part class. Um, today we'll hear from Glenn. We're, thank you very much for yeah. being here today and blessing us with your, with your teaching. And then next week we'll have a little bit more of an informal discussion about what we're, what we learn today, and after you've had a week to think it through and mull it over, uh, take notes. Uh, if you have any questions, make note of those. I have a bunch of extra ink pens. If you don't have an ink pen, I've got a whole bunch, so uh, feel free to come up here and grab one or let me know. So 
Why don't I pray to kick us right. off, and right. then we'll, we'll get started. Father God, we thank you for this, this day. We thank you for this city, Lord, that you've called us to be in. I pray, Lord, that um, you change our hearts, work in our hearts to love this city, love our neighborhoods, love where we live, Lord. Um, it's all part of your, your plan and design, Lord. And I pray that we can, as a community, we can grow and grow in our knowledge of what it is to love and serve our place. I pray as a community we can support each other and encourage each other as we uh, seek to grow in this area. So I just ask that you bless our time over the next uh, 45 minutes to an hour. And um, yeah, thank you for the grace downtown community and then uh, the worship service as well. We just pray this all in your precious name. Amen. All right. Thanks, Brett. Um, well, I was glad to be invited to talk about this. It's, it's um, one of my favorite topics to talk about, I think, because it wasn't really something I had thought about for the better part of my Christian life. Um, I think it's just very easy to do Christianity in these days without a thought to place. Some of that's the modern life that we live in. I remember Duke Kwan, who is, of course, one of our pastors at our network, when he was on staff with us and he would train community group leaders, he would say, you know, you can have... Uh, he, he would try to distinguish between the idea of a Bible study and a community group. We would say that a Bible study is something that our community groups do. The group itself is not a Bible study. Uh, he would say you could have a Bible study anywhere on a plane, you know, 10,000 feet in the air. You could have a Bible study, right? It's not so much attached to place. But we wanted to have community groups with open doors and open windows so that people understood faith was contextualized. So since we started here in 2003, the theology of place has been growing. And uh, it really hit me as soon as I arrived what a unique and complex place D.C. is in terms of place. Um, on one hand, you could say historically it's a sleepy southern town that became a nation's capital. Right, and you can read stories about how cows used to graze on the National Mall, and you know it's hard to imagine those things now. And then even the nation's capital became a global city. Uh, Washington, of course, was always a city, but a global city has grown uh, around it, and it has unique factors that stand out. It's a commuting population during the day. You know, D.C.'s population swells 79% during the workday. Uh, that's a lot of people that come in and go out. Uh, folks from Northern Virginia, Maryland, Pennsylvania, even West Virginia, uh, people commute that far. And of the uh, 46,000 workers that have been added in D.C. Uh, between 2000 and 2011, one change has been 90% have chosen to live in D.C. proper. So that has been a shift as well. As more workers have been added, more people have been moving into the city. Um, 
We also have to reckon with not only it being a commuting city, but Metro DC in the district proper, right? There's a Metro DC. Um, but the, the funny thing about that, I grew up in Pittsburgh. Uh, Metro Pittsburgh was, uh, you had the city proper, but then you had counties and towns. But here, uh, the counties and towns are other states, right? You have the district, and the metro area includes two other uh, entities, right? Virginia and, and Maryland, excuse me. And so you're, you've got a place that's interacting not only with uh, different identities, but different laws, right? And different, different representatives, uh, different governments. And we all know as well that those places tend to have their own uh, interactions and perspectives on one another. I was talking to someone who was in Alabama this week, and um, I was talking to a pastor down there whose daughter has done the Falls Church Fellowship for a couple of years, Falls Church <coughs> Anglican Fellowship. And I was describing some of this to him, and he said, yeah, my daughter pretty much says that uh, the folks in Northern Virginia and Maryland don't really like one another, uh, that uh, Northern Virginia tends to look down on Maryland, and Maryland sort of thinks that Northern Virginia is a little uppity. Uh, and I said, well, that's probably a short way to say. There's some of those attitudes, right? And the district is its own thing in and of itself. Uh, maybe the district has its looks down on all two, I don't know, or two of them. And so you got Metro DC in the district proper. And then we have two other cities to reckon with. Uh, one I'll call the capital city, right? It's the city of monuments and administration, the city that people come into, as we said, 79% of the population swells during the day, leaves, um, and goes out. The city where people pursue their professional careers, um, visions for change in the world, uh, where they have dinner and might leave. It's a city that has changed dramatically in the last 20 years, uh, even longer. I've been here now for 12 years, and um, I know you've had this experience where you might walk down a certain part of the city um, three or four weeks later and find that there are new restaurants and new places that are coming up before your eyes. Um, and so um, it's a city that now has more amenities, restaurants, baseball came to Washington. Uh, that, if you were here, in and of itself was a controversy, right? Uh, because of uh, what that would mean for city resources. Um, it's a city that had the Verizon Center pop up, and this, of course, was all part of the plan to uh, revitalize this area. Parking's going to be a little bit crazy tonight at 7 o'clock because there's a Capitals game, concerts. It's a city where uh, people sometimes approach it as an experience, right? Uh, you'll have folks that are interns that might come and say, well, I, I want to go to Washington for an experience for a couple of years. It's a city where people come to um, make their mark. It's a city where people play. It's a city where people uh, learn. So all these things in this professional city. Uh, but it's more than that. 
if you're living in a place, it's always more than that. Uh, the district is a place where we make our home. It's a place where we shop and go to the grocery store. It's a place where we have block parties. It's a place where we come to know our neighbor's struggles. And so uh, I would say the people of God, in one hand, we acknowledge and embrace that professional city. But we are not satisfied with that superficial version of the city. Because whenever you got people, it's always a deeper thing. It's always a more important thing, relationships that are close to us. So the capital city. But then on top of that, we have the native city. The city that uh, emerged, especially in the early 20th century. In 1910, after the Civil War, 50 years after the Civil War, close to 90% of the African-American population lived in the rural south. Um, and because of cotton crop failure and Jim Crow laws, there was the Great Migration that occurred in the early 20th century, 1950. 20 million African-Americans moved north uh, to urban cities, and Washington, D.C. became a major stop in that. It was always a major stop on the runaway slave circuit. So um, in 1860, 80% of the blacks were free in D.C., and in the 1920 and 30s, um, this creative force was unleashed where you had a, a burgeoning middle and upper class black population that began to be creative and produce. Howard University was a result of that. Poets like Langston Hughes, of course, Frederick Douglass was prior to that. Duke Ellington, um, it was referred to as the Black Broadway. It was referred to as a place, a hub of business for the black community. If you learn a little bit about Duke Ellington's story, you understand that he came from uh, a very uh, a sophisticated middle-class family. And uh, by the way, he got his name where, he, if you know anything about Duke Ellington too, he really understood his own sophistication. That's why he called himself the Duke. Uh, I am the Duke. But um, in this stuff... It uh, doesn't really get covered on the, the tours, does it? Most buses uh, don't go down U Street. Uh, they go around the, the, the monuments and things like that, even though there's this rich history. In many ways, it's two cities and two histories. And as people of God, as people that are here in this place, we want to know the whole story. We want to embrace the entire history and not just one city, not one version of a city, uh, I was at Meridian Hill this morning preaching, and there's a member of Duke's church who is, um, initially came here to be part of, uh, he said, I came here to be a diplomat, and now he's trying to get the jazz scene happening in Washington, D.C. If you've ever been to, um, what is it, Dukem Restaurant on U Street, Dukem Jazz, well, that was his brainchild. He got that going. But um, he mentioned the way uh, that Bohemian Caverns is closed down on U Street. Now, again, with one view of the city, you could come in and go, oh, I don't know what that place is, and maybe, uh, maybe uh, a Starbucks will go in there, you know, or maybe something, maybe something I like will go in there, right? That's what we all tend to do. But if you know and care about the story and the history of the city, you realize that is a major landmark. Since the 1920s, it's been producing music, uh, including Duke Ellington um, and jazz. And the fact that it's closed is sad. 
I'm already beginning to pray that someone will revive it and take it. So the, the music that has fed this city will continue one place. Uh, now, of course, and what's remarkable, I think, about this um, creative force that was unleashed is it happened under oppression, right? I mean, this is in the 50s and 60s, where the black population is living in the light of uh, racism 1.0. We have racism 2.0 now, but this was, well, we still have 1.0, but it was totally 1.0 there. Um, and then 1968, the assassination of Martin Luther King, Dr. King, uh, results in the middle and upper class leaving the district. And then what we have in the 70s and 80s is a city that's been emptied of resources. It, it gets a reputation as the murder capital of the world, uh, the murder capital of the United States, rather. And uh, basically uh, falls prey to crack. Uh, the AIDS epidemic takes off crime. If you've lived here and you talk to neighbors that have lived here for a while, and Andy, who's in real estate, I'm sure, in many ways, I, I wish I, if I would have known you were coming, I would have moved a little segment for you to teach us a bit. Um, whenever I can corner a real estate person, I'm always like, what a wealth of knowledge. Ask them. But, um, but um, at least uh, when I would come here, people would say, well, 20 years ago, you could live one or two streets from the Capitol. And then it was, you know, 4th Street and 6th Street, and things begin to fan out. And now there's people living further and further into the district. Um, but that really began to change in the 90s when Anthony Williams became mayor. And with it, there are a lot of positives. We would say gentrification isn't, isn't either all bad or all good. And even some of my longtime neighbors would affirm that. I live next to a neighbor, I brought him to church, some of you might remember, Mr. Outlaw, who uh, is like a living history of D.C., but he will uh, regularly talk about the city and the changes that have happened, um, but he's glad it's a safer place. He's glad that his real estate has gone up. He's not glad that his taxes <laughs> are that, but... There have been perks, right? It's good to see business. It's good to see the economy do well. It's good to see people make profit, right? These can be healthy and important things. Um, yet at the same time, gentrification has led to um, the poor and lower middle class having nowhere to live, disappearing quietly from our neighborhoods. No one sees. Uh, one day they're gone. Where do they go? And so some years ago, we had Bob Lupton come, and he talked about gentrification with justice. I often have said to people, when we showed up, and largely the demographic of our church, being young professionals, uh, we're part of the problem, but we can be part of the solution. Um, and so why do I take all this time recounting the story of D.C. to you? Why do I do that? Because stories of places matter to God. Places matter to God. That's why I spend the time. And you know that. You go home to your hometown, and you go, Oh, they closed down the movie theater. What's that place? I don't remember that. Who are these people? I just read um, that Pittsburgh 
is now, I think, the top five destinations for millennials. I'm chuckling. You know, I, I grew up in that town, right, where uh, the Washington Post uh, marked it as uh, one of the worst dressed cities in the United States. I will joke and say that we have our uh, formal Steeler wear and then we have our informal Steeler wear. You know, that's what people wear. But you can imagine the shock that the city's in for. Who are these people, right? And you feel that way. You go to your hometown. Because places matter. New Orleans, right? You're, you're never going to hear that place mentioned without them telling the story of Katrina, right? Because we live in these places. And I would say this is biblical. Brent already led off this way. You could go to John 4, the famous story of the woman at the well, and uh, Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman. Why is it important that we know she's a Samaritan woman? Well, many of you know, because Samaria was considered um, a half-sibling that Israel wished they had no relationship with. Uh, syncretistic, ungodly, and uh, we're told that Jesus left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Just in those two little verses, all that detail. If you don't care about place and don't know about place, all the import blows right over you. But if you do, you go, as I said, he had to go through Samaria. Israelites tried to avoid Samaria. Hmm, interesting. He goes to a field that Jacob, who's this Jacob guy? And why did that field matter? And why did it matter that they were meeting at Jacob's well? Those places had significance. The places in our city have significance as well. And so um, I want to move us into a couple points about uh, place. When we started this church in 2003, um, it was important, we talked about a name, and some of you, who of you were here in those early core group days? Brandy, Joe was there, okay. Oh, you were there too, Meg? Oh, that's it. <laughs> Meg was very much there. We were meet, meeting in our home, meeting in our home, and um, we debated three different names for the church. Uh, I think one was uh, Christ the King. One was Faith BC. That's a little hard to say, Faith BC. Uh, we had landed with Grace DC, but for me the most important part was that DC was in the name. Because we said we don't want to uh, portray ourselves as a national hub. And also in Washington, of course, was a place where people love to come and set up national hubs. You know, to be the national church. And we said, no, we want to be a local church. We're not pretending to be the nation, the Presbyterian, the PCA's nation capital church. Uh, we want to be in and for the city, which became the purpose statement of our network. In and for the city. So how do we get there? You can look to your uh, handout at this point. Uh, modern life views where we live as incidental and temporary. Um, that's just the way it is. Uh, I, I like to do this um, every now and then. How many of you in your life have lived in more than five places? 
more than seven places, more than ten places. Okay, but that's pretty much an average, five or seven. Uh, that's different than a lot of people of my stage and age. Uh, we were a little bit different as we left, but a lot of folks don't. Now, if I, if I ask you, um, how many of you have visited at least three other countries of the world? Five. Seven. Nine. Ten. Thirteen. Fifteen. Twenty. Twenty-five. Thirty. I mean, it's, that's amazing. You know, and it's a blessing that we can be mobile. It's a blessing that we can move around God's world. But it also, every gift has its flip side, right? It's liability. And the liability is we just move through space. We cruise, we walk, we hurry, we fly over space and place. And so it makes it harder for us. We tend to believe that where we live really doesn't matter. It's incidental, it's temporary. When we move to new places, we won't say it out loud, but the inner, uh, you know, uh, question in our mind, we do a cost-benefit analysis and go, will I invest in this place? I'm only going to be here for two years. I don't think I'll invest in this place. Just what we do. But it's good to be reminded from Scripture that God, God sees places not arbitrary. He never has. In the book of Acts we read, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that's men and women, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. So that God sovereignly ordains where people live. I said this last week. You know, Where you were born, you had nothing to say about it. If you were born in the Northeast and you got the Northeast attitude that went with it, if you were born overseas and go, I still don't understand America, if you were born in the South, right? God sovereignly determined your boundaries and you didn't go. Even though you were mobile and were flying, you lived most of your life in certain boundaries. You and I will conduct most of our lives in pretty small area. You know, and from that area, we'll find friends, our jobs, maybe mates. I find this as a parenthetical statement. I think it's very hard for people when they consider the marriage question, in part because of globalization and mobility. Right? The thought is, but how do I know if this is the right person? There are people everywhere. <laughs> maybe I like fly over here. I fly to Africa and I meet that person. How do I know? And I'll have to say, calm down. <laughs> Calm down. Providence. Providence. God puts you here. Don't take those people lightly, or the place you're in lightly. What's fascinating about this passage to me is the way it talks about the place in seeking God. He put them within those boundaries so that they might seek and find him. Did you ever think that my dedication to my place might have a lot to do with my experience of God? In finding him. I would say it makes sense because God mediates himself not only through, you know, the scriptures, especially, and the sacraments and prayer, but he also makes himself known through the people and the places that we live. Right? I mean, whether it's you're taking a walk out of Great Falls and you look at the beauty and you go, huh, there he is, the Lord. 
So modern life, uh, we have to push against that a little bit. Second of all, the Bible reveals a God who created, sustains, and enters into a place and whose plan of redemption is essential to place. Finish this sentence. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Our God is a creator God. This is one of the ways he distinguishes himself all throughout creation. O Israel, look at the starry host. He who created these, he is not far from you. Our Lord is the creator God, making people and places. And we are placed people. Brent already mentioned this, that our book, and you've heard me say this, our book is the one filled with all those hard-to-pronounce places. It's, it's filled with places that God put in Holy Scripture and inspired that the Holy Spirit would make sure that we knew. Places. Because he made these places and cares about them. It's important to God that we know that Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran, and that he had a dream there. And then they called the name the place called Bethel. It's important to God that we know those names and those places. In fact, when you think about mankind, there is only one placeless place we'll be. And that is the intermediate state. So if on the way home, I get hit by a car and I die, I'll go to be with the Lord immediately without my body. But I'll look forward to that day where I am joined to my body because being human is intrinsic to who I am. And I'll also be put back in a place, heaven. So we're created in a place and we will live for eternity on a new heavens, not just a heavens, but also, right, a new earth, an actual place. And that means that we shouldn't expect heaven to be that much different, you know, obviously beautiful, and amazing and astonishing, but still the earth. The earth as God has made it. And I think there'll be cities as well. I might be wrong. Uh, Cities, and we'll get back to the work of Genesis 1. Right? The book of Genesis teaches uh, Jesus' great commission, which is to go off in the world and make disciples, puts us into the original commission, which was to be fruitful and develop the earth and to work the place that God gave us. This is what we'll be doing on the new heavens and the new earth. And so God creates the place. He cares enough to sustain it, even though sin comes in and causes thorns and thistles. God is sustaining the earth. This ought to give Christians comfort as we get worried about the environment. And I'm not saying at all that we are passive. God works through means and instruments. But that God is committed to sustaining the earth until he decides that it should be the new heavens and new earth. The earth is on its foundation, it shall not be moved, the scripture tells us. And of course, we have all these psalms that celebrate the, the, the delight he takes in what he's made. You know, for, for us not to appreciate the delight of Washington, D.C., of the cherry blossoms, and the city of trees, it's called, or the Potomac River, even the Anacostia River, we just have to pray for a day where it's cleaner, right? But all these things that we're given, God means us for to delight in them. And he not only sustains the place, he enters into the place. No faith is like this. There is no faith like this. 
where you have God the creator who creates a real place, who cares about real places, who sustains the place and enters into the place and lives there for 33 years. It's crazy. It makes total sense if you understand the Christian story. And other faiths, again, they're about spiritual sayings. You can have a Bible study on a plane. It doesn't matter. In other faiths, uh, when I die, I become nothing. Or I become the ground of all consciousness. Or I just become spirituality or force. It's just amazing to me how sin plays games with our mind. No one practically would ever live that way. No one really wants that. Because we're made this way. So God moves us into this place, and then our places shape us. I love this uh, you know, quote from John, where Philip, uh, from, they tell us, right, the city, Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter, uh, Philip comes to Nathaniel and says, hey, we found the Messiah, and he says, he takes a shot at Nazareth, right? Can anything good come out of a Nazareth? Have you ever said that about places? Can anything good come out of Toledo? <laughs> yeah. I remember sitting on a plane behind uh, two people that were from Toledo. All they did was diss Toledo the whole time. But I imagine if I would have dissed Toledo, they would have said, who are you to talk about Toledo? Right? Because people, f- they feel about their place. You can talk about you know, your own family, but don't talk about, why is that? And there you see the close association between people and places. They shape us. Um, On top of that, there is a close relationship between restoring a person and restoring a place. This comes from Isaiah. You shall know more before... uh, Sorry, this is about Israel, the people. You shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called, my delight is in her, your land married, for the Lord delights in you. See how closely God talks about his redeeming of people. And is restoring them and restoring their land because he knows uh, that place is that integral to who we are. And then, of course, the New Testament letters to the churches of Galatia, to the saints who are in Ephesus, to the church of the Thessalonians. He bothers to mention where he's writing to. We have a couple circular letters that went to lots of churches, but they still are named to places. And then, of course, I already mentioned where we're headed. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. So, This is an underpinning of our understanding of place. Thirdly, we live at a time when spirituality and faith are hyper-personalized and individualized. My experience, and at a pace, I already mentioned this uh, as we work through our places, consequently, the importance of relationship to neighbor and neighborhood is often overlooked. So what I'm saying is when you take individuality and faith that is worked out that way, this is a side of modern spirituality that I don't think people have thought much about. In modern spirituality, and I mentioned this last week, everything is highly personalized, right? God to me is this, who God is, what I believe, how I relate to God, and what you believe has nothing to do with what I believe. We could have the church of the individual where we all get together and say, hey, this is my belief, what's yours? But that doesn't happen. But along with that, people haven't thought about the impact upon place. That their spirituality is not connected with anywhere. Uh, This comes from uh, the Passover, and I hadn't seen this before until I was preparing for this class. Uh, Tell the whole community of Israel, and on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family 
If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share with their nearest neighbor. So the assumption was that you knew your neighbors had a need. That means that we don't just use our places, right, as a place where I head to work. Um, and let me say this, you again have heard me say this before, but it, I hope that God will lead you to be here a long time, but I also know that God leads, right? God determines our steps. Uh, but whether you are here for two years or ten years, we would say, be here as long as you're here. Be present as long as you're here, because it's what God has called you to do. If every other weekend you're going back home or visiting here or doing that, you, you won't be present, and you'll be lonely. And I would say you'll fail to be the neighbor you're called to be. But that means that on my block or in my places, I know the needs of folk. It's interesting, on city blocks that are very dense, uh, we happen to live on the same block. Uh, you know, James and Michelle know a group of people down at your end that I don't really know. Uh, I see them occasionally at our block parties. And then I have, the people I tend to know are the people there and here. You know? Because there's just so many people. And they're the ones sitting on their front porch. So those are the people that we're taking meals to. Those are the people that I've conducted a funeral for. These are the people that I visit in the hospital. These are the people that you take meals to, that you know and care for. It's the way it should be. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's impossible to love people without loving their place. Um, you know, we got that boatload of snow, right? Did any of you take notice of who shoveled and who didn't? Right? Who helped out the widows and who didn't? Well, that matters. I probably noticed too much at times, begrudgingly, complaining. And then I was really mad at those people that didn't clear their car off, but it didn't matter anyway. <laughs> you know, where they were like, the people that just had it, maybe it's the guts to say, I'm not touching it. And basically, when I'm ready to move it, it'll be melted. And it was. <laughs> and I, you know, breaking my back. So my car was clean, and I didn't move it anyway. <laughs> Sorry, that's not part of the thing. But neighbors, right? And neighbors, it it's matters who we're next to. The history of D.C. reveals many who approach the city merely as a launch pad for their career or a playground to enjoy the amenities of a cool city, Christians included, in short, to use the city rather than to bless it. We aim to have a deeper, loving relationship to the city. Well-known passage in Jeremiah. Bear in mind, you heard me say this at the last D conference when I was teaching on place. Um, bear in mind that God is saying this to Israel who had been trafficked out of their home place. They'd been conquered, forced by their will to move to this place. If anybody had a reason to hate the place, to sabotage the place, to throw pollution in the place, to contaminate the water, to burn Israel, this is what God says to them. Thus says the Lord of hosts to all the exiles, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Right there is enough for every Christian to repent of um, using cities and using places. Uh, for us to basically um, cruise into a city and pursue a career and not really care about how it fares. 
to not care why this business closed down or that business closed down, to not care that the guy that owned the place for 30 years has no hope of renting it for the future. So our church is to be a place where we understand the welfare of Grace D.C. and Christians in the city is bound to the welfare of the district. Man, I'm so glad that God does stuff like this because, you know, my heart, being selfish and sinful, is always to just look out for myself, but he's bound the prosperity of the city to our prosperity. And so we become advocates. We pray for it. We contribute. We, we don't just use, we plant gardens. We eat of their produce. We build houses. Or we, actually, we don't do that. We, uh, we, we, we rent houses. We try to buy houses. Maybe we could, well, we build habitat houses. Joe, Deacon Joe's looking at me going like that. You missed it, Pastor. Right. We do build houses. And that really matters to people. So, uh, you know this, and we talk it, about it a lot. Um, Washington, especially in the last couple of years, becoming the coolest city and the city with great restaurants and all these things. Amen. I'm proud to say that, you know, Rose's luxury is in Washington. I've never been there. I hope I'll get there. I think Meg has been there and uh, before there was long lines. Uh, I'm proud to see every business flourish. I'm, I'm glad. I would love to see a, a, a study of how the businesses prosper from this church when it's let out and we go eat in the places here. Right. We should pray for the prosperity of this city and to see it flourish because it'll mean more jobs for people. And it just glorifies God flat out. A wonderful thing that we ought to see but we also want to be shepherding one another to say, let's not use the city. Let's not use it. And we get folks at all different places. You might be brand new to Grace Downtown, and uh, this is the first you've ever heard about theology of place. Others of you have been like, boy, Glenn has been saying the same stuff for 12 years. And I'll pull an Apostle Paul and go, it's no trouble for me to repeat. Right? It's no trouble for me to say the same things over and over to you again. But we have people coming in all different places. And uh, it's a wonderful thing. To me, the victory is when someone leaves and they go, and we get this regularly, where people leave and go, I'm going to a new place and I'm going to love that place. I'm thinking about it differently because of my experience here. That's a win-win for us and for them. Um, But we want to be encouraging people, hey, this is more than a launch pad. Hey, glad that, you know, Yards Park is a ball. But let's think about that place. Let's think about its development. Um, And we need every vocation in the church to pull this off. Um, As a distinct place, D.C. has needs and challenges specific to it, and so customized ministry. Uh, This is just a passage where, um, in the book of Acts, a famine was hitting the land, and uh, a prophecy was given. But... Notice the attention, so the disciples determine everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. Um, It's clear in the New Testament that the church was aware of the needs of the specific places. It's clear. Uh, Whether it be Macedonia, whether it was Antioch, And if you look at the early church in the first centuries, they cared about their place. 
even though it was being ruled over by Caesar. And our church planning philosophy was built out of this. We thought we could do better if we would hone in on places instead of having one church. Let me say this. This is important. I think that it's biblical to have a regional church and a local church. I think McLean Press is a regional church. As long as the folks at McLean Press care about their neighborhoods, right? They might be spread out. Uh, we, though, started with a model that we were going to be a district-focused church and not a regional church. In fact, the day where we made the decision to move all our community groups within the district, which was a painful and hard decision if you were here then, it was a decision not to be a regional church. It was actually a decision to be a smaller church, right? Because you're no longer to be a place where people just come in. But we thought it would be the best thing for the city. And then we thought, you know, if we plant churches, being at Meridian Hill, that crew knows their place. They know the needs of Columbia Heights better than I do. Mosaic is now in 11 smaller neighborhoods. But if God blesses, Russ has a desire that they plant more churches. And the same with Grace Downtown. And let's remember, too, we're just one little small sea. God is working through all this church planting. In fact, I'd mentioned before, he's planted so many churches that we may not need to plant as many churches as we thought. And I've been delighted to see it the way he's brought churches that care about the place. You know, NCC, doing their, you know, doing their Easter egg hunt in Lincoln Park, three blocks from my house where my kids would go and get eggs. Thank you, NCC. Right? Blessing the neighborhood. The district church. Churches loving their place. And so uh, this is the kind of thing that we want to be involved in or committed to. I need to move along here. Um, last point, God has planted many healthy gospel-centered churches in Nova, Maryland. We're planted specifically to reach and serve D.C. This is our mission field. We long to celebrate its glory, bear its burden, laying our lives down, perhaps literally, for the city. Uh, now, Brent said at the beginning, and it's right, that if people are not living in the district proper, what we'll say is if your heart and ministry is here, we want you, Right? We want you here. If your heart and ministry is here, we, we don't want people coming just for the amenities of the church. Right? Maybe I like the worship, or I can tolerate the preaching, or there's a lot of cute single women there, or whatever it is. You know, that's nice, but like, go somewhere else. We want people that, you know, we want people that care about this mission field. But also, this is, you know, where I want to press in a bit. We need people to live in the mission field. And we want folk to. And, you know, it's challenging everywhere. Right? You could say, well, it's really expensive in the district. The session pays attention to the numbers of real estate. We read every report that comes out. It's expensive within the Beltway. It just is expensive everywhere. And part of us bearing the cost as Christians is when we moved to the city, right? We all had to give up things. And that's a good thing. Jesus hasn't called us to like a, a cruise, has he? He's called us to lay down our lives as our brothers and sisters are in Turkey, right? Bombs go off in Turkey. They're there. They may die for their faith. We might die for our faith here. So be it. But we lay our lives and maybe it means I can't save as much money up or maybe it means I got to rent for a long time or maybe it means I'm in a neighborhood that makes me feel edgy and unsafe or maybe it means that, you know, I don't get to have the yard I wanted. Maybe. But that's part of the call of the gospel. And we need people to live in the mission field, don't we? 
because this is how we see it. Um, and so, uh, you know, I'd urge you to, to think about that and pray about it. And I know many, many of you have uh, committed your lives here. And so uh, we want to bear its burden, celebrate its glory. And let me close with this quote. This is from uh, Eugene Peterson. All churches are local. All pastoral work takes place geographically. The gospel is emphatically geographical. Place names, Sinai, Hebron, Shiloh, Nazareth, Jezreel, Bethlehem, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I think that's right. (laughs) These are embedded in the gospel. All theology is rooted in geography. The gospel is local intelligence, locally applied, and plunges with a great deal of zest into the flesh, into the matter, into the place, a particularizing love for a local thing rising out of local knowledge and local allegiance. I think that's a great little picture of the kind of commitment that we have. So I'm going to stop there. Thank you for your time. Uh, I really do hope uh, that you'll be here next week because um, it's one thing to hear information. It's another thing to be working it out. In fact, on our um, session retreat, one of the segments we're going to be doing is how do we think about being here long term? How do we have a vision for living here? Um, Everything from and we think and pray about this a lot, people being able to own homes or people being able to rent affordably or people being able to find schools for their kids. or You know, these are some of the things that need to be talked about and worked out in communities because it's challenging. It is challenging. Let me pray. Thank you, God, for this time. Thank you for your love for Washington, D.C. Thank you for your love for us and for the time we have here. We Look forward to the day where this area, this city will be totally uh, renewed. Uh, Whether you'll call it Washington, D.C. in heaven, I don't know. But this place that you care about, renewed. And we thank you that we can be part of that work now. In Christ's name, amen.